0: Waiting for Neil. You there, Pablo? Hello. Hey, Pablo. How's it going?
1: Um, fourteen hours without sleep. Uh, really?
0: Don't do that to yourself, man. Get take care uh, of yourself. Oh, Pablo. Before we get started, I must know. You must know what? My hand is glowing red. <laughs> my hand glows with
1: an awesome power it tells me to defeat you <laughs> how far I get shiny finger you gotta admit I would piss my pants if someone's running against me you know in my direction saying
2: shiny finger you
1: know it's scary I um, don't know what the fuck he's gonna do with that but uh, uh, yeah I've seen up to the 7th episode of G Gundam this far <laughs> Um, I, I've had many pleasant surprises, um, and also many weird, weird questions popping up in my head, and, <laughs> uh, you no, know, I've been trying to do some, some background research to understand how this came to be, because...
0: Well, Kityak told uh, us that the, the guy who was originally going to work on Escaflone bowed out to work on G-Gundam. Yeah, but uh,
1: still, you, you know, who that guy is. I actually love many of his works. Right, uh, and I probably end up loving Gigandan because it's obviously on uh, track <laughs> But you know, he, he, he directed the the Sheen Messenger C TV series. You know, the the TV series responsible for me having Messenger C tattooed on my back. And <laughs> uh, uh, so. He's got a very distinct style, Uh, I mean, he breaks the fourth wall very often, he's uh, entirely all over your face, Uh, it's all about, you know, emotion, just like uh, Gurren Lagan. well, fact logic, there's no place for logic here! Uh, But the thing is, what what certainly puzzles me about G is the fact that they went with that direction especially for the 15th anniversary of the series, uh, because ah, it, it's it's just the polar opposite of Gundam, of the classic Gundam. But if we want to really say it's the polar opposite of a Gundam series, it's the polar opposite of Gu- uh, Gundam Wing. You know, W? Yes. Uh, the, also known as Yao Ebaidh. <laughs> because uh, allow me to explain my, my theory here. Uh, Gundam Wing actually uh, uh, takes a lot from the original Gundam when it comes to the setup. You know, this whole battle for independence with uh, a guerrilla war between the colonies and Earth, uh, and also, you know, this real robot approach to the series. Uh, and uh, boy band. Uh, the thing with uh, G Gundam is that G Gundam is a polar opposite when it comes to the setup, and also it's a polar opposite when it comes to the boy band, uh, because this is a sort of you know, this is an anime that makes chest grow, you know, hair grow out of your chest, <laughs> and then your your chest grows another chest that grows hair on it too.
2: <laughs>
1: that but, uh, turns into a fist. But uh, uh, that's the thing. I mean, for example, in in like I said, the original setup was that uh, humans eventually moved out to, to colonies, and they became they had problems when it came to independence, so they started a war against Earth. Uh, however, here it, it's not you know the people that were forced away from Earth, you know. It, the guys that fly off Earth are the, the wealthy ones, and the colonies are the ones that have the wealth, and uh, Earth is where all the... Slums. The and, uh, yeah, it's the slums. And and then the colonies say, like, oh, I know, instead of making war, let's make this a uh, Gundam fight tournament to decide who's going to rule all the other colonies for four years. So they all send a Gandam to, to Earth to have this Battle Royale thingy until, you know, it, there can only be one! Uh, so the basic is that these Gundam fighters, in a very Fist of the North Star scenario, just roam over the Earth with their own agendas, representing uh, outer space colonies, and... Um, Wrecking everything around that And and for example The real robot thing Which was what what Gundam started uh, Is totally I mean it's not totally lost I mean most of the mecha is In fact a real robot I mean it it behaves like A mecha would Uh, However The Gundams themselves They're super robots Super fighting robots
2: No that's Mega Man (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it, I
1: mean, they, they have magical superpowers and martial arts skills And I mean, there's no logic that can explain the way those guys move uh, And also the whole system they used in order to you know, connect with the Gundams the, the design inside that I mean, if not for the design of the Gundam themselves There's no real reason to connect this to Gundam at all um, they have many homages here and there But still, it's a It's a, it's a very interesting series It's great in many things The animation is gorgeous at times But it also cuts corners In many things, you, you see jump cuts uh, When people should just Stand up and walk away It's like, suddenly oh, They just jump And they're away You know,
0: jump cuts, just like that Uh but, but doesn't doesn't uh, Domon treat Rain like shit? Yes, at least on um, the first episodes.
1: Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's amazing how much. Uh, but but you can also tell that he sort of cares about her. I don't know. It's it's weird. Besides, Rain also has her secrets
2: and stuff. I
1: I don't know. It's it's a series I have to finish watching. That's totally the sort of series that I actually enjoy watching, it's just that it's so weird to have you know, this Gundam connection that's entirely forced Uh, one of the things that I read somewhere was that the director hated the Bandai's toy policies just as much as the original director did so when Bandai started pushing for toys because, by the way, this was a great toy sales uh it wasn't as big in ratings, but the toy sales were incredible. Uh, so he started, you know, just throwing stupid designs for the Gundams.
0: <laughs> like like the windmill.
1: Like the windmill and stuff, but people kept buying those. So.
0: Neil! Like... Would you buy a windmill Gundam? No. Would you buy a sailor Gundam? Time, don't know as much. Maybe for, like, what the fuck purposes? <laughs> The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Web Comic Beacon Newscast. Recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast. The ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before Web Comics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, tonight we're talking about the uh, career uh, as a spotlight on uh, animator Gendy Tartakovsky. Uh, this year I'll spend your own my co-host, TV Mr. Jump, good. And uh, joining us is uh, animator extraordinaire Pablo Prino.
1: Omelette de fromage.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was my second choice.
1: Oh uh, yes. uh, yeah, I was afraid you were going to go with that. It's it's a great one.
0: So, uh Gendy is a is an interesting animation uh uh animator in the history of uh, animation. Uh uh two decades of a uh, a little bit over two decades of of a career, but he's already played so much uh of an imprint on the industry in just those two decades. Uh, he was actually hired uh, to work on uh, Two Stupid Dogs with, uh, on the recommendation of Craig McCracken.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's how he got his start. And uh, him and Craig and the other animators all worked in like this uh, cramped uh, trailer in the parking lot of Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> <laughs> what is that not surprise me? Well, that's how it started, Neil. You all have to start somewhere.
2: You guys, you guys work over here. We're going to, the big studios for those of us who are making Smurfs.
0: <laughs> well, this was the
2: 90s, Neil. I think the Smurfs are still going in the early 90s. I think it was dead by then. I'll have to check. Smurfs was on a long time.
0: But, It sort uh, of
1: reminds me of the Termite terrorists, you know, back when. On the exactly.
0: Exactly. It was that kind of adversity in, in the work field. And, uh. Like I said, Craig McCracken vouched for uh, for uh, Tartakovsky for to work as an animator in Two Stupid Jobs. Uh, McCracken himself was the art director there on Two Stupid Dogs, mm-hmm. but it's wrong. Anyways, <laughs> uh, this is really where Tartakovsky <laughs> was able to break out because before then he had he had no real career. He was just basically going from place to place and uh, and uh, yeah. He got a sh- shot uh, because he had a stu- student film when he was in the California Institute of the Arts called uh, Dexter's Laboratory, and uh, someone saw it and gave him a shot for making that a series. That was his shot. And <laughs> he also co-wrote and penciled twenty uh, the 25th issue of the Dexter's Lab comic book, so he also worked as an illustrator as well. And let's talk about Dexter's Lab for a second. Because I, I think this is really one of the first big rubber stamp Gendy series.
1: Yeah, and we all, we have to thank partly John K for that. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the original back in the first days of you know Warner Brothers and such, uh, they were they had the the test shorts when it came to developing shows and characters. They would. Keep making new shorts with new concepts and new characters just to see what worked with the audiences or not. And then they would develop those shorts further into what would eventually become a series, for example. And that's how the Looney Tunes were born and stuff. Uh, and John Kay was one of the guys that suggested to Cartoon Network to have this short film uh, program in order to find new ideas, new talents, and new characters. And that's how cartoon cartoons came around.
0: Yeah. The What a Cartoon Show. The yeah, cartoon this, show. this is this really was around the same time that they gave lots of lots of little guys that had ideas and haven't quite proved themselves. Shots like uh, whoever happened, the Robot Jones and uh, and uh, Kids Next Door were all debuted as shorts. Yeah, where basically mm-hmm. here's this one short and uh, it's stylistically different than what we've mm-hmm. seen before and. They saw how the response was, they made a decision, okay, let's give this guy a shot and, and was Gen was one
1: of the, power
0: yeah, and Gendi was one of the people that got the shot and uh and Dexter's lab is really one of the cutest things that he's ever worked on because because Dexter is this character who uh who has this almost German accent little boy that that has his lab in in his parents house hidden in the walls yeah. and stuff.
2: You're stupid. And the, and the the lab is like the 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 Tardis cuz it, it's not clear where in the house it's hidden. It's it it cannot possibly be hidden in the walls but somehow it exists anyway.
0: Yes. <laughs> and Dexter's Lab as a series also grew and changed a lot because uh, Dexter's Lab mostly was about Dexter but it had a little bit of a flavor of of a of a variety of show, much like how, uh, and tiny tunes was where there were, uh, Dexter segments and, uh, and, uh, dial M for monkey, dial yeah, M for friends. monkey and the uh, justice friends, justice friends. Yes, Neil. Yes. <laughs> where you had, uh, Val Halen, the, the Norse God of rock. Yeah. <laughs> Which
1: major America.
0: Yeah, but come on, I, I, I just love that, that p- play on, on words, ha- you know, Val Halen. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Good night! <laughs> Major glory
2: and the infragable crunk.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I also had Dexter's Wacky Races as as a repeating segment as well. <laughs> but uh, lot, lots of the things that, that define Dexter's Lab happened in the early episodes. The the idea is is Dee Dee is the annoying idiotic antagonist to, to Dexter who isn't an outright antagonistic, but antagonist in in the fact that she doesn't leave Dexter alone. Mm-hmm. It's much of the feeling of any brother and sister uh, dynamic would have. Yes. <laughs> I mean later well, on they not they
1: not for my sister being three years younger than me, that was basically my childhood. I I also had the uncontrolled ego that Dexter had and I considered myself a super genius when I was a kid. <laughs> which sadly, I uh, I uh, 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 oh, it was. Did I wake up and smell that coffee? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, with with Dexter's Lab, it really is a, a series that that focused on 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 the cuteness of the characters itself. It was also it also helped that, that Dexter's Lab you know the characters themselves were pretty much that dad and mom were you know the mom is the typical housewife image always wearing uh always wearing cleaning gloves and the dad's you know always you know the dad's always wearing khakis and tie saying how you doing there sport the, newspaper. <laughs> the
2: the mom was like the pregnant cop from Fargo she's like how you doing <laughs> don't you know
0: well, like I said, it was it was trying to grab that slice of Americana and just and just yeah. push it to eleven, and I think that was what one of the one of the enduring things about Dexter's Lab. And lots of things changed as the series went on because early on, uh, Dexter's arch nemesis, Mandark, was pretty much you know his whole structure was exactly like Dexter, where De- where he had annoying sister and all his other things. And I think early on, the the writers or Gandhi himself decide, no, let's not do that. And they did something far better with with Mandark's backstory. They they jettisoned the sister, and they made his parents hippies, and they made Mandark's real name Susan.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> because I think they realized just making him like a mirror image evil Dexter is is boring. No, no, let's do this whole hippie thing. That'll make it funnier. Yeah, and they're right. Because it's really uh, weird watching early Dexter's Lads when they have the Mandark's sister character because it it is trying too hard to do a mirror reflection and and them jettisoning that character did the, the show a world of good.
2: She, she's in the cellar with Chuck Cunningham.
0: Yes, and the, and the third Winslow <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and Poochie. Oh man. And Roy. <laughs> But overall, Dexter's Lab, I love Dexter's Lab. It's it really was cute, and it really did interact a lot with Cartoon Network itself, which is really uh, one of its strengths.
2: Did you kind of kind of get the feeling that they tried to change Dee Dee a little for the second season because she seemed just straight up stupid in the first season, and then they kind of made her a little new agey in the second season? I remember one specific episode where. Uh, Dexter had to go outside for some reason, and she she basically became like Yoda. I yeah.
0: do not remember this episode at all. I'm sorry to say.
2: They they actually, she, I. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it it's basically like her being like the wise one when whenever, whenever like Dexter is outside the lab, like she. Because he has, apparently has no social skills. I don't know, but it was... Well,
0: I, That they tried the same thing with Pinky and the Brain, where Pinky and the Brain are stuck in the forest, and, and Pinky all of a sudden has all these survival skills.
2: Yeah. It, it just it just felt to me like they tried to soften her, and I'm like, oh, no, I kind of liked it when she was stupid.
0: <laughs> Stupider. And, uh, but moving on in the Gandhi's the career, Gandhi also directed a ton of, uh, at least all the way to season four, Actually, season three, I should say. He directed uh, a ton of episodes of of uh, Powerpuff Girls. One oh, yeah. season, one, two, and three. He his fingerprints were all over it, and he also was the art director of the movie. And uh, yeah, <laughs> early Powerpuff Girl is is my favorite Powerpuff Girl. It's back before they really tried to uh, refine things too much. I mean, th- there's two eras in in Cartoon Network's animation. That, that both Dexter and uh, and Powerpuff Girl has where the first era is much more rough where mm-hmm. where the character designs you know kind of shift sometimes when scenes change not quite consistent and the second it was like
2: it was like straight up Hanna-Barbera like 1960s
0: and then the second the, the second era is where everything all of a sudden is perfect all the designs are perfect mm-hmm. nothing is ever off model that, that was
1: so weird because, for example, uh, when it came to Batman the Animated Series Before it became, you know, the, the new Batman Adventures uh, When they did that whole design change There was, like, uh, a big step uh, 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 there, there was a huge step when it came to the change in design they did When they cleaned it all up And they they went even more stylized However, here uh, the, the change was so weird because uh, the amount of lines for example that they were using were the same, but they were like, no, we need to make this even less somehow uh, so they started straightening it all out and you know like messing a bit with the proportions and Oh. And it was so weird because it it was, it wasn't that much of a change, but you could tell from miles away that it was different.
2: We're talking about like season three and season four. Yes. Oh god, those are terrible.
0: I I know. I, I don't it, know but why,
1: why that change happened. It it was so weird because it was uncalled for, basically, because uh, you know when if you compared. Uh, the the first seasons of Batman the animated series with the last ones, uh, you you can sort of understand why it was um it was a whole different approach, it it was a more modern take also you know they were leaving behind the the noir and the and this whole fifties look in order to make it more you know contemporary. However, here it was all still you know. We still had the lab, we still had the, the house, the same characters, same outfits, same persons, same personalities. It was all the same, it just suddenly shifted in a very weird way. I knew that when, when I first saw it, I, I just couldn't understand what was wrong. I, I think it was mostly with Didi, because Didi started being less flexible. For example, <laughs> I, I know, Didi I know was all about you know this string that jumps around and 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 suddenly when this new style arrived, she was less stringy. <laughs> I don't know. It was so weird for me.
2: What I noticed is that uh, well, first of all, I don't think I don't think any had anything to do with the third season, third or fourth season. But uh, what I yeah. noticed was uh, the the coloring. It was suddenly like everything was like yellow and brown, and like all the all the bright colors were gone, and the the stories were just boring. I mean, there was one where it was like uh, it was Mandark. It was just like a day in the life of Mandark, and like you know how Mandark has that laugh? He's like ha 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 and Everything ha, ha, ha. is time to that. <laughs> yeah, everything is. He, he brushes like, his teeth to it. It's like brush, 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 <laughs> and somebody honks the car horn. It's like beep 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 you know it it, it's like the whole cartoon is that and i'm like what the fuck am i watching (laughs) this is this is like torture did 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 seth mcfarlane direct this (laughs) let me check (laughs) no he didn't but (laughs) but it's like it's like the kind of thing that seth pulls where it's like it's like he tries to see how much you'll watch he'll put the most boring thing on screen like like when the the one the one scene where i knew that family guy had firmly jumped the shark was when uh, it was a scene where Brian and Stewie are in a are in a bar, and Stewie is sitting there singing the lyrics to Suicide is Painless, the theme to MASH, and I'm like, wait a minute. This
0: isn't a joke. This is boring. Why it's, am it's, I watching this? It's a pointless this? reference because less people saw the movie than saw the TV show.
2: Well, yeah, it's a pointless reference, but it's also boring, and that's kind of what I felt like here. I'm like, this isn't a, even a joke. It's just this is just like someone driving a nail into my face. What what is this? Oh god.
1: And uh, that that season was very experimental. I didn't did they actually make like a Pink Panther homage during that those seasons? I don't
0: know. I don't, With I don't know. Did being
1: the Pink Panther and and Dexter playing, you know, the angry little guy.
2: <laughs> Clouseau.
1: Yeah. No, no, not exactly Clouseau. it was that the the antagonist that
2: oh I know who you're talking about the big nose guy who's always white
1: yeah exactly Uh, they they basically remade a Pink Panther episode only with Dexter and Diddy changing the lab with pink and you know white or maybe blue I can't recall Uh, they had many episodes that were all about oh we're gonna try this new thing that's gonna be all about Horror or all about uh, you know rhythm, and, uh, and it was like, but remember when you started out and you were just making you know Power Rangers homages and anime homages? I like that. <laughs> they
2: actually did do a. They actually did do a good episode that was about music and rhythm. Remember the one that Paul Williams was in? Like he was he was Dexter's music teacher and he found a lab.
0: But wow! I
1: remember please that. Please guide me here. Who was that guy? Because I I saw that episode like two days Paul ago. Paul Williams.
0: He he wrote. Um, he, I was looking at. This. He wrote Rainbow Connection. Yes, he wrote Rainbow Connection. Why are there so many oh. songs about rainbows? But uh, but he, in fact, he's the piano player at really the bar. Tiny in too? Yeah, he was really tiny. Because he wow. because he he's really tiny in real life, but. Uh, but uh, speaking of the Dexter's Labs episodes, yes, the the Mandark uh, the Mandark episode you're talking about, where Mandark's everything in in, in the episode is in tune with Mandark's laugh, yeah, the episode was kind of bad. But this is also the same season that had the episode where Dexter's dad and Mandark's dad were fighting, throwing ducks at each other. So I have to like give it some props for that. They're throwing there, ducks at each other, Neil. Wasn't there always?
2: Wasn't there also like a? a lot of time between season two and season three, like, like a, like a, a few years had actually passed. Like, yeah, season you, two was
0: 1997, 1998. Season three was 2001. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like how you say that. It's yeah.
2: like, it's like, we don't remember how to do this anymore. Let's try anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. It's like, it, it they like flip the light back on and, some, and we're like, how did this go again <laughs> kid in a lab or something about a German accent and didn't they lose the 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 voice for dexter like within a few episodes I vaguely remember that there were a couple episodes in season three that had the original voice and then they switched mm-hmm. and the new voice is
0: terrible ah but to powerpuff girls um <laughs> the early powerpuff girls is where is where uh is where gandhi really did his thing i mean uh, it was you know if you look at season one and season two it's it's so it's always you know you look at the names Gendy and craig Gendy and craig Gendy and craig Mm -hmm. it's like they were the dream team (laughs) they really were
1: (laughs) and then came lauren connor but
0: oh are you saying that she was like the yoko (laughs) oh no (laughs) don't say that
1: Well, I don't know. I, I'm just throwing it out there. I have nothing against Lauren Foss. I love all the things she does. But suddenly, <laughs> uh, it's like people are are you know talking more about Lauren Foss and Craig McCracken and not oh, only about oh, oh, Craig oh, McCracken oh. and Gendy. It's just like mm, they actually did an episode on on the beat alls.
0: Lauren Foss and Craig McCracken. So, what? That's who worked on the episode. <laughs> oh my god. Well.
2: It was prophetic.
0: <laughs> well, the Lord does good work, but uh, like I said, uh, Gendy also was the art director on the Powerpuff Girls feature-length movie, which I have to say was pretty damn good for a Cartoon Network theater release. Mm-hmm. Because this was really the one that sort of got all the uh, studios to sit up and say – Wait a minute, Cartoon Network released a theater movie? Wait a minute, it's this? Wait a minute, is this popular? Wait a minute, what are these all these ticket sales? Because anyone who wasn't paying attention to Powerpuff Girls, this sort of caught everyone by surprise in the industry. Sadly, this was the last surprise that uh, <laughs> Cartoon Network delivered. Yeah. Surprise, we're going to suck now.
1: Would, would you mind filling me in uh, on the whole Powerpuff Girls movie? Because it's basically...
0: It's basically the origin story of the Powerpuff Girls. It's like no, it's-
1: no. I know, I know, I know, I know what the movie's about, but I, uh, I just please help me understand the the concept. You know, the the mood, the environment. What the hell was happening when that happened? Because I recall, for example, the teaser trailers that they were released, That they were all, you know, like CGI and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, what? Just like did, the eyes of the Powerpuff Girls in pitch black and laughter and. No, the and it movie was itself like,
0: wasn't in. Secret. Watch out!
1: The movie's coming, and and I'm like, huh? And then they show it, and it's like, and here's the movie, and it's like, wow, it looks a lot like the TV
0: show. It's actually better like, anime than the TV show. It's actually it's like their yes, A plus team.
1: But it's still it's still uh, it's still uh, clearly grounded on, on the. On the TV series oh, uh, well, oh, oh. Up until then Most of the times Every time we saw Like a feature at length Adaptation of Of a TV series They usually just threw all the design School out of the window And they said Yeah All the things that made This thing popular Yeah Let's not pay any attention To that And start from scratch And do our own thing uh, But here it was Like the same team Doing the same stuff Telling the untold story so, but, uh, there's that, actually, that was weird for me. There's actually I, a... I don't uh, know how
0: that's it, so. <laughs> There's actually also a uh, a special uh, De- Dexter's Lab episode, mini episode that shows up at the beginning of the Powerpuff Girls movies in theaters. The short oh. Chicken Scratch. Oh. Mm. It's the one where Dexter's, Dexter gets chicken pox, and in uh, and details tells him not to scratch, he also turn into a chicken. mm Remember it, Neil?
2: I don't remember this. I didn't see the movie in the theater. I saw it on
0: Cartoon Network. Okay, well, it exists and it, it's actually quite cute. It, it, it's done in the new Dexter era, but it's animated like old Dexter. Ah, uh, but <laughs> that's how kind did of weird. the Powerpuff uh, Girls movie de on the box office? It, you know, it didn't do super great, but it did do surprisingly, surprisingly well. It's a uh, I'm not seeing any numbers. eleven million dollars was its gross and uh it uh, worldwide it was sixteen million dollars it was uh <laughs> but it did gross money because it cost eleven million to make and it grossed sixteen million so it did make money mm-hmm. and so oh, okay. some people call it a flop, but when you, when you make fifty percent of your money back, I don't think that's really a. I, I know they were expecting gangbusters, but it still was – it still made everyone sit up and take notice of, Of here's Cartoon Network. They just did a movie, and they never did it again. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast.
2: Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to M-Wire only on geekcastradio.com. Hey,
0: I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player.
2: Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from on the online
0: Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe Talk meets Sports Talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right, and we, hey, again? Come on, Chuck, we're just kidding, kinda. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right, and we, okay, seriously, this is just getting ridiculous now. It's What's on Joe Mind, every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. I suppose I still can't say something about transformation. Can I? Come good on. No. What about sports? That uh, sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that's all right. Grab your helmets because it's time to assemble Mask The GeekCast Radio Network has launched Masked Mayhem with your hosts Optimus, Solo, and T.F. Joe and Mike. This podcast covering all 75 episodes of Mask will feature in-depth analysis of every episode, talk on the toys, and more. Masked Mayhem will run 30 podcast episodes. You can find us on iTunes and on www.geekcastradio.com. Get your spectrums ready as podcasting is the ultimate weapon. And now back to the show. Moving on in Genndy's career, we had to talk about uh, Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack is interesting to me because uh, Gendi did one of the most experimental things in animation I've ever seen where he says there will be no outlines. Samurai Jack is a cartoon where there are no outlines at all. All the characters are simply color. Just walking boxes of color. It's quite beautiful. It, uh, It's Gendi and his team really experimenting with the art, really experimenting with the story. And uh, it's Genndy trying to basically distill the idea of those epic stories like Beowulf and stuff in in an animated form. That's really the best way to put it because... Yes, Pablo. uh,
1: I love what I think was the art director that said that the way he saw it was white versus black in front of red. Uh, that was like the color, the, the basic premise of, of the style of the show was going to be black versus white in front of red. And it was so simple when they said that. I was like, wow. I mean, it uh, it, it, it was a great way to go because it also brought back stuff from we hadn't seen since the 50s when it came to animation. You know, just an interesting form Splashed uh, done entirely with color. And it's, it's, actually remi-
0: it's actually vaguely. It's actually it's actually vaguely reminiscent of some of the work that the, some Russian animators did in the uh, 80s. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that too. I mean, it's great. I I I studied uh, a lot of of this particular style that they did for a short film that I animated. Uh, I actually animated it this year But I started uh, pre-production on it Like two years ago It's called uh, It's called The Amazing Amar- Amaratis It's uh, a short film With a duel b- between Two wizards You know, two magicians um, I tried to To make it all, you know Without any outlines, all color But I also Tried to You know give it my own spin to it too but i was more very definitely influenced by samurai jack uh it's amazing what they did besides uh i i know that the duck dodgers episode even makes fun of it samurai uh, quack with samurai quack the whole you know the, the silence the the timing the storytelling the scope the the rhythm. It was a, a, an incredible experiment, and I, I love what they did. It was like what we're going to do. It can fail, but it's gonna show people something that things can be done different.
0: Oh, um, you wanna know, know how Gandhi pitched? You wanna know how Gandhi pitched Samurai Jack? He talked to um, the Cartoon Network executive Mike Lazo, and he said, "Hey, remember David Carradine and Kung Fu? Wasn't that cool?" And Lazo said, yeah, that was pretty cool, and that was the pitch. <laughs>
1: Makes sense. Makes lots of sense. i would never done that particular connection. But uh, one of the things that they did, it's great the way... Remember how when you put some restrictions, you, you make people be even more creative when it comes to working through that adversity? There, yeah. there were many things that worked that way with Samurai Jack, for example... Uh, he, they, he wanted a samurai. Samurais have swords. He's going to cut something at some point. So he's in the future, and most of his enemies
0: are robots. That's true, but uh, uh, one of one, one of the episodes, one of the final episodes, had a sentient robot be his opponent. It was told entirely from the robot's point of view until Jack cuts him down. But well, uh, I haven't seen it yet. But uh, Samurai Jack does lots of episodes. It it, it has no one mood. It, it has many moods. Where, yeah, if you saw the first
1: episodes as a whole, like a a, a movie, like a pilot movie, uh, it, it totally cuts you off guard because it, even though the show doesn't take itself, you know, way too seriously as it's developing, you know, the basics. The moment he arrives at the future and you have the talking dogs. Uh it's like what uh it's like Gandhi you know, Rakosi just stand up and threw the the table upside down, just saying like you you saw all this story about the samurai learning how to be this great warrior to go back and save his his family and his country? Yes. Well now there's talking dogs, deal with that
0: <laughs> Well my love is is when uh the... Is when Gendy throws in a reference that no one in America that's a teenager or a kid would get. Like he had Lone Wolf and Cub show oh, yeah. up in an episode. <laughs> and, and no one in America, except for maybe five people, knew who Lone Wolf and Cub were.
1: Uh, it makes a tale.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> but the, but overall, Samurai Jack is this wonderful thing. And the most insulting thing about Samurai Jack is The year that Samurai Jack won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Animation is when it was canceled.
1: It seems to be the modus operandi of TV
0: networks by now. Congratulations! You got an award. You showed that we could really do something artistic. By the way, you're fired. But uh, Samurai Jack did also have one of the uh, best... Things happen to uh, to Gendy's career that it basically got him on the map in a big way, bigger than Dexter or or Powerpuff Girls ever did, because it was the Arceo Samurai Jack that got George Lucas to, for the first time in decades, hire someone with more talent, <laughs> hire someone with talent, period, to work on Star Wars. Yeah, and Gendy create was basically given, okay, here is a series of events. Make it work. And that's when Gendi did Clone Wars. The real Clone Wars.
2: Gendi should have just written the prequels for Christ's sake.
0: Because yes, yes, the Jedi were super powerful in this, but that doesn't matter. I'm not gonna complain about Jedi Jedi power levels in this because it's in inconsequential to what the storytelling actually was because animation as a medium does open up more impressive things that Jedi can do but at the same time Genndy was much more interested in telling a good nuanced story having inter- interactions with character characterization foreshadowing development things that you would never see i mean and and I, and I, you, everyone who's listened to our Clone Wars episode already knows that i say that the the uh, the ghost hand segment is by far the best foreshadowing in prequel media ever. Oh, I was gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say that that the clone
2: that Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars the real clone is Wars. mostly mostly responsible for tricking some of us into thinking that episode three was actually good. Because I, I remember being rather embarrassed with myself later, but I think what it was is I, I actually watched Clone Wars before I like right before I went to see the movie and i was like that yeah, was awesome and then later i realized wait a minute if i just take the movie by
0: itself it's not really that good so it's like See, Gen- it's like gendy <laughs> Gen- got you all ready gendy got the mood lighting going and yeah, Gen- 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 did all Gen- the Gen- foreplay actually- and then george lucas came came on top of you and did the rest <laughs>
2: yeah gendy <laughs> gendy <laughs> Gen- Gen- <laughs> Gen- Gen- like he actually did characterization he he actually built up Anakin. And
0: he made, made Anakin a... a tragic figure, not this yeah. whiny little. You underestimate my power. Where
2: in the movie he 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 accidentally kills Mace Windu. He's like, what have I done? And and then the Emperor's like, you will become my slave or whatever he says to him, and he's like, oh okay, <laughs> which makes him look like a moron.
1: <laughs> makes him. Anyways, yeah. well, I I've given classes, uh, you know. Film uh, language classes And also animation classes uh, With just the the fight scene Between Anakin and Asash Ventress You know, the, the, basically the finale Of the first Wars season uh, Because there's so much attention To detail In that, and foreshadowing Everywhere There's plenty of symbolism with everything Because everything that's put on screen Is put there for a purpose So for instance, the the shadows they project, the way that the screen is cut in half, uh, how you know, on Asajj Ventress' side it's all fire, and on Anakin's side at first it's all uh, you know green, and and the the, the things they say, Asajj Ventress saying, "Come, uh, uh, Skywalker, your your fall will be my ascension to the Sith," and then that basically literally happens because. One falls and the other ascends closer to the seat, but it's the other way around. And, for example, the, the whole pal Anakin loses his lightsaber and starts using Asash Ventress and uses his, you know, robotic limb in order to gain an advantage over her. And those split frames that just appear there for a split of a second with Mace Windu and Qui-Gon Jean, and Joda and Obi-Wan, all terrified about what's happening, and, and the colors... It's all so under control, so taught and, and so well-directed, trying to make you feel what's going on, and how, how it's working inside of those characters. It's not just, oh, look, they're waving their swords around. No, they're, they're actually having character development with what they're doing here.
2: There was, I think, there was a little bit of uh, Return of the Jedi in that fight. I remember, there, where...
0: there, there definitely was. Yeah. Everything that Gendy did was for a purpose. He didn't ever put anything on that screen during Clone Wars that wasn't intentional, and, and I, I think, I think George couldn't take it that here's this thing that's animated. He can't go back and put things in an animated thing. He can't do that, and I think that pissed him off. I think that that because. Because there's this whole thing where with with Shakti fucking Shakti where, where basically he was gonna have uh, at the at the end he was gonna have uh, general Grievous kill Shakti and it was gonna be the big oh my God moment in the in this thing and yeah. and George says no you can't kill Shakti because he was gonna kill her at the beginning of the of the third movie but then he yes. decided not to for time. Well, he didn't so much
2: just go. You're not going to do this. He basically just filibustered and and kind of hemmed and hawed and was like, uh, I don't know, maybe. And then basically, uh, Gendy ran out of time and he was like, Okay, well, we can't kill her. This has got to go to go to Korea or where, wherever they were animating it. So the end. It ends with Shock T bound up, but she was still alive.
0: That's right. But like I said, they had <laughs> Shock. They had a cut scene from episode, episode three where Shock T is stabbed through the neck, mm-hmm. and it was filmed, it was just not put in, and because it wasn't actually in the film, it wasn't canon, so they saved Shakti's death for later in the extended Universe.
1: Well, we, we know um, there's one that actually died. You know, Shaggy?
0: Oh, Shaggy, yes! Oh, yes! <laughs> it's incredible. But that, that's um, the thing. He, he, he Basically, basically, Gendy came up with... Uh, I'm sure someone in LucasArts said, okay, here's the idea. Here's General Grievous. He uses lightsabers. He's not a Jedi. He's a robot machine thing, and he can fight on par with Jedis. And I think that's all they basically said. And I think uh, Gandy came up with the whole idea of what General Grievous does is pure intimidation, is where he doesn't fight like any normal bipedal Creature, and he has these extra arms, and he fights with his feet, and all this, and basically came up with this whole idea that by Grievous doing all these weird things with him int- intimidation, and all this is able to basically psych out Jedi.
1: and ah, I, the moment he appears, it's so incredible.
0: Yeah, where all of a sudden amazing. all his robot he parts open, creeps. his all his robot parts open up, and he tries to make himself look two times as big. Just to, like I said, the whole idea is it's all intimidation. And I think I, I I attribute that more to uh, to Gendy than anyone at Lucas Arts because, well, we we saw Episode Three.
2: Originally, uh, they Gendy wasn't even gonna have uh General Grievous uh open up his arms, but then the footage from the movie leaked, and George was like, oh, I guess you can do it. I have a turkey neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah. It's, so that's that's what happened where the whole idea of General Grievous the General Grievous that was in Gendi's Clone Wars is just so far beyond. You know, even if we take into account the super jedis that are in Gendi and we like come up with a scale and like slide the scale back, even if we do that, even then the, the Grievous that showed up in the actual movie is still such a pale 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 imitation.
2: Yeah.
1: They tried to blame it on the fact that Mace Windu, you know, crushed his thorax or. Loud. Well,
0: that that was really uh, one of the the one of the cool things. Where basically it showed that, it showed like I said, it showed that with intimidation tactics, Grievous is able to overwhelm Jedi. But Mace Windu came in fresh. He came in alert. He came in calm. And well, so he, he walked on the part of the was, shadow. So basically, but, he was like, "Bitch, please crush."
2: Plus, he's supposed to be, like, uh, one of the senior Jedi, so he was like, hand me my lightsaber. It's the one that says bad motherfucker on it.
0: (laughs) Like I said, like I said, basically, he came in, he wasn't intimidated, he was calm, he was collected, he was like, bitch, please, crush. Yeah. And that that was, uh, a lot of that was that they kept, that
2: Lucasfilm kept changing uh, Grievous on them, like, in fact the the final design of Grievous in the movie, I think the cape was a different color and something it was
0: red and it was red in the uh, in yeah and other things like uh, grievous in the cartoon had lightsabers on his belt, and all of a sudden in the movie he has like a pouch in his cape,
2: yeah, but the coughing was something that I think they come up came up with at the last minute so uh so Gendy just kind of worked that in it's just like well we we had a different idea of what Grievous was, and then then George changed it.
0: So what what uh, did was basically exactly what made the first Star Wars good was creativity through uh, adversity. More or less. <laughs> which which is hilarious. hilarious. Parts of those
2: grie- parts of those Grievous fights, uh, of the many Grievous fights that are in that cartoon are just hilarious. Like when he's when he's in the uh, what what the chamber that the that the that the uh, Chancellor was in. You just you just hear him behind the door beating up these uh these poor uh, clone troopers and at one point you hear like a you hear like a chainsaw noise <laughs> it's like they just they were just throwing like all sorts of goofy sound effects in there and
0: it, it was hilarious but it was after it was after uh, Clone Wars that uh, that Gendy also just sort of sort of floated around for a while he he did the, he directed the uh, pilot episode of Kogarth of Barbaria which sadly never saw a series. Oh,
2: oh I, I,
1: a friend of mine loves that so much. And, and, and they can totally understand why. I mean, I love it too, but it, it's just so much his thing.
0: It's great. And uh, I mean, But one of the best projects he did was he storyboarded Iron Man 2. So if you wonder why okay. Iron Man 2 has such a great action feel to it, that's why. Okay. I mean, h- how many times have you ever heard someone, like, hype who the storyboarder of a movie is. Not too often. I know. I mean, when, when comic book fans heard Gendy Tarkovsky storyboarded Iron Man 2, that was like a holy shit moment. <laughs> and I think uh, I'll let uh, Pablo take it from here on the next thing in Gendi's rather impressive resume. Well,
1: uh, there, there's the fact not taken... And the path that it was taken And then again Cartoon Network became an and asshole the,
0: uh, So uh, the, there was a path he would taken The path not taken The choice is up to you my friends
2: <laughs>
1: Well For <laughs> once uh, It was about
0: There's the, a time was, we lost a dream or two uh,
1: He was going to make the Dark Crystal sequel That's right uh, Yes But that fell through And some He was replaced And then the Project didn't go anywhere. Sure there were budget concerns and stuff. Um, but I, I remember when uh, the, the same friend that was uh, the Court of the Barbaria fan, he said, they're making a Dark Crystal sequel. And I'm like, no, they can't. And then he says, is directing. And I'm saying, he totally can. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then that didn't happen, so whatever. But uh, what she did do, uh, we, we at least got that was Symbionic Titan, which is this beautiful love letter to a genre. I mean, uh, if, uh, if the first uh, Dexter's Lab episodes were paying homage to many things Japanese, especially stuff with giant robots in it, uh, this was incredible because for, for uh, it was a serious take on the subject. I mean, the, all the characters were very serious about what they were doing, but they were thrown into today's USA <laughs> era. Uh, so they this whole outcast feel that the cast has, it, it's about basically, again, interplanetary war and alien princesses and her bodyguard, and uh, which can... Uh, have a, they have access to technology that allows them to have like these giant robot uh, armor forms, which they can even merge into one giant symbionic titan, and and it's a monster of the week show, but mostly, but many times the most of the time actually, the the episodes are not centered on the. There's this monster we have to beat. It's all character-driven. And it's excellent. For example, there's... the One of the characters is uh, an artificial being, you know, like a robot, that is one of the components in the fusion when they create the symbiotic titan. And he starts dating. Uh, because he, he first tries to help this girl with her homework assignments. Uh, and then she does this shaky, it, drop it dance.
0: Oh god! Yeah. Oh oh oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it totally
1: took me off guard. I was never expecting anyone to do anything like that on TV, much less on Cartoon Network out of the adult swim block. And it was so well animated too. And the thing was that it could have just, you know, if this had been like a setback, MacFarlane show, that would have been the end of it. You know, that was the punchline. However, after that happens and the story moves on, the episode itself ends in such a beautiful note with basically just that girl walking down the street, uh, listening to music on her uh, earphones. And it's this soft, like, 80s tune somehow it's real soft and smooth and she's just like in love and walking by the streets and just dancing a bit with very subtle things and like grabbing a, a, a lamp uh, what's the name oh, well, one of the street lamps and then she spins a bit around it just for one second like letting herself fall it's like she's falling in love wow. And you can see all this cut together with the symbiotic titan showing up, fighting a monster, spinning it around, throwing it up in the air, and then making it explode. And that's just this beautiful backdrop to this girl falling in love. And it was like, wow! And this was in the same episode as a booty shake.
0: <laughs> well, I... I... We're going to sort of gloss over the end of, uh, well, not the end, but the two present of Gandhi's career, because he he agreed to uh, work on Hotel Transylvania, but it was pretty much on an agreement that if he worked on it, he would get to uh, work on some pet projects of his, and he did, and he, he's going to do a popeye ser- he's going to do a Popeye animated movie, and there is Whispers of Samurai Jack. So, uh, so it was. A, uh, I think it's worth the trade-off. Yeah,
1: but, and also uh, you can understand what uh, what Gandhi did, which is that uh, it finally got the freaking movie done. Uh, Hotel Transylvania was in development hell for years. It struck directors four times. Gendy Rokosz was the did- fourth director that came around. And said, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do, and you gotta follow me on this
0: when and, it started, wasn't it originally gonna be a live action movie uh, I, I, it, it, it,
1: it, it's changed so much i mean if, if you ever if you want to see some beautiful art uh, and the most wild reimagining of characters that eventually ended up almost nothing. <laughs> Compared to uh, what they ended up being on the
0: screen. Yeah, yeah, it it from a live action movie to a two to a 2D animated movie to a 3D animated movie. It it <laughs> it, it basically was, it was a movie that had part. it had ADD. It had it was a movie that had ADD.
1: Oh, if you want to see a movie with ADD, watch the tension. But please don't do that. If you do that, please don't blame me. And
0: I won't watch the, that then, but... Uh, thanks. But,
1: but that, uh, no, that that's the thing. I mean, Gendry Tartagoski came here and tried to do, uh, you know, apply cartoon physics. It was like, we can't... Uh, we will not go the if a realistic route here. I'm a cartoon director. We're going to make a cartoon. So, we're going to go with visual gags we're going to go with the basic animation principles, and we're going to do this very, very funny stuff, and, and animate it like it's a cartoon, because you're not supposed to be making one of those dead movies with motion capture, like
0: that make you Like Zemeckis does? Yeah. I so, am Beowulf, but... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, Gandhi's career right now, let's just wait and see what he has in store for us next. Uh, because right now it's sort of we're, we're sort of sitting in anticipation. What will he do next? What will he surprise us with? So far, you know, his his resume isn't super duper long, but at the same time, that's a good thing. Because you'd only need a couple of shots and when the shots you have are this impressive, you don't need more. Uh, overall, wow. I think Gendy that... is uh, is a revolutionary, a visionary in animation, and once he picks a stylistic tone or setting or anything like that, he can push it through and get his vision told. Uh, Neil, what are your final thoughts on gandy
2: I I really liked his his earlier stuff more <laughs> than more than the later stuff. I this is this is gonna like shock a lot of people, but I I really thought Samurai Jack was boring. But I, I I really, really loved uh uh Dexter's Laboratory and I, I loved the I love the Clone Wars and I haven't really I you know, I haven't really watched uh
0: Symbionic Titan?
2: Yeah, I've not really watched that yet. I've watched a couple YouTube clips.
0: But yeah, um The Booty Dance. The Booty Dance. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's he he
2: was he was really one of my favorite animators in the nineties and he just kinda we kind of drifted away, and I think a lot of that is Cartoon Network's fault, just because they they've really moved uh, starting around 2000. They really started moving in a direction that just did not was not like animation director friendly. A lot of their cartoons, Goosebumps. Yeah, when they're when they're playing cartoons, that is. <laughs> Hole in the wall. Hole in the wall, like Goosebumps. God damn it! And all that that teen. What was that it was like drama island or whatever the hell that was total
0: drama bullshit total drama yeah bullshit yeah badly barely animated flash shit yeah making fun of uh reality tv shows five years after people everyone made the jokes already yeah Gendy,
2: Gendy seemed like a like a real renegade to me because i remember there were jokes in dexter's lab that i could not believe they got like uh the one dial m for monkey where uh it was it was the character Huntor, and he shot I'm not making this up, he shot a heat seeking moisture missile at Monkey. And he said it. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, how did they get that past the, the, the sensors? They must they must have had uh, they must have had John K. and and Ralph actually there doing like a doing a dance to distract the, the the network sensor guy from looking at the tv screen
0: and bruce tim and bruce tim
2: <laughs>
0: just like hey look at us do, do, do. And... <laughs> well bruce tim would do when he would talk to the sensor and convince him that it's a good idea to put it in that way
1: otherwise the children would be confused
0: yes or, or better yet uh, you know make it to where the center says, oh, no, you have, to have, you have to have Batgirl's body hit the car and have the view from inside the car. You can't show it from that a that wide angle close. far away. You have to, sh- yeah. You, you make, oh, they're like, letting us make it worse. <laughs> but, yeah, Gendy was was a, was a renegade. He definitely was. He, yeah. I mean, his, his early work, he was paired with, with the one guy who believed in him, Craig McCracken, and, and he made magic. And even after, even after the, I wouldn't say they split. I would say that they became big enough to support their own weights. Mm-hmm. You know, even after after Gendy moved on to his own things, he uh, he still had his individual print on things, his individual take. And, and to say this as a guy who worked as an, an- animation assistant uh, on freaking Tiny Toons and, and got got his big break on Two Stupid Dogs, just just wow. Oh. Uh.
1: You guys want uh, a nice new related to Gennie Rodakovsky's present career.
0: Uh, have you heard of Goodnight Mr. Foot? Goodnight Mr. Foot? Yeah. Never heard of it.
1: Well, it looks like after Gennie uh ended up with Photo Transylvania, you know, directing all the CGI guys, he was like, I gotta animate. So in one month, he, made, he directed an animated a short film all by himself called Goodnight Mr. Furt, which is a 2D short uh, based on Hotel Transylvania with Bigfoot in Hotel Transylvania.
0: Wow. Wow. Amazing. And it's a, it's
1: a nice drawback to, you know, remember those Daffy Duck short films with the witch and the castle and all that?
0: Yes. That's a
1: bit of that rule.
0: Well, overall, I think we're wrapping up here. Yeah. Gendy is an amazing animator and an amazing director. And any chance you see his name, you have to give it a chance. That's my recommendation. Yes. Most definitely. And I think that's wrapping up.
2: And once you watch the real Clone Wars, you'll never look at that CGI piece of crap ever again. (laughs) <laughs> I
0: know anyways this year yours Ben
2: we're TV Trish I'm
0: Pablo Pranger and we're saying goodnight
1: bye bye